0: Good morning and welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome to a brand new series entitled Text. Text. T-X-T. Now to many of you, uh, that, that's the symbol of something that you would use this for. How, how many of you are proficient at texting on a cell phone? I see some hands, all different ages of hands. We've got people. How, how many of you, let me ask you this, how many of you are one-finger-typer texters? Hold the phone with one hand, type with the other. I, I tend to do that. I, I get pretty quick with the one. How many of you, you are hold the phone and use your thumbs? You, you're, you're, you're a two-thumb texter. I, just, I, I try that, and I keep hitting the wrong I hit the wrong letters. I think my, my thumbs are a little bigger than I think, and I bet if I did it a lot, I would probably get pretty good at it, and I keep going back to the one-finger approach, and, uh, and I get decently on that. So texting is one form of communication, but you know, over the years, uh, certainly there are a lot of different methods of communication. Uh, there's been everything from the telegraph to the telephone to email to good old-fashioned letters how many of you still enjoy receiving a letter handwritten in the mail we, we get a lot of junk mail, right, communication where you get the same thing that you get and you get the same thing that you get, but we enjoy personal forms of communication, whether it's a handwritten note or card, uh, maybe it's that phone call, uh, certainly there's some emails, but texting is one of those ways. And, and when you text, kind of, kind of the good news, one of the, the good things about it, it's near instantaneous, right? It's not like maybe a telegram that, that takes a little while to get to the person. It might not be like the email that sometimes takes a little while, depending on whether they have that set up to come to their phone or you know, they have to check their computer for it. It is, it is near instantaneous, and it gives you as the recipient a pretty, well, it gives you an opportunity to respond, right? It gives you the opportunity to receive it, It gives you the opportunity then to read it, hopefully to understand it. It gives you the opportunity as to whether you're going to believe what's in that text and then give you the opportunity to respond back to the text. How many of you are quick responders to a text? You get a text, you read it, and you fire off a response right away. How many of you, you don't really check your phone a whole lot, so it might be a day or two before, oh, I see, I've got a text. Uh, Let me respond. Yes. So there's a variety of responses from the immediate to the taking time. And that tends to be very similar when we talk about the text, the text of God's word. And so this particular series, we're going to be looking at Texts, great texts or scriptures from God's Word, and looking at what that has to say for you and for me today. So some of these might be some of the most familiar texts. They might be some well-known texts, some of the uh, maybe powerful and important texts in the Word of God. And so today we're going to be beginning with a text in God's Word about God's Word. And the challenge today is this. It, it's a challenge I've, I've said before, because if you've been with us for a while, basically every single year at some point in time, often at the beginning of the year, but at some point in time, it's a challenge of getting into God's word. It's a challenge of reading and studying and responding to God's word. And so this morning, I want to Well, for the first time for some of you, or a reminder for some of you, we're going to be getting into God's Word. The challenge is, get into God's Word and allow God's Word to then get into you. See, there's a difference. And so as we take a look at that, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is one of those familiar texts as it relates to the Word of God. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a young pastor friend named Timothy. And so Paul wrote, uh, wrote many of the books of the New Testament. Many of them are written to the church uh, in a particular city. So Philippians is to the church at Philippi. Ephesians is to the church at Ephesus. And many of these books that are uh, written to individuals like Timothy, he is writing to Timothy, a younger man of God, a a younger minister who is up and coming and learning. And so these letters are full of encouragement and reassurance and instruction. And this is considered one of the pastoral epistles. Uh, It's just a a title, if you would, for a number of books that Paul wrote with a pastor's heart. An epistle is simply a letter sent by an apostle, which is Paul. And so this book, as we take a look at First and 2 Timothy, uh, they are pastoral in nature. It's Paul writing to a younger minister with instructions about God and his word. And so as we look at this fact, the challenge is we need to get into God's word, part one, and then allow God's word to get into us, part two. And so the balance of our time together, I, I want to answer the question, Why? Why should we? I I think we would probably understand that there's some importance behind it when we talk about the Word of God. But let's spend a little bit of time looking at the why. Why should we dig into God's Word? Why then should we allow God's Word to get into us? First of all, it's because God's Word is life-changing. Life-changing. How many of you have experienced a life-changing? Changing event. You better have your hands raised. I mean, there's got to be something in your life that's life changing. Uh, for us, certainly, this last uh, week or month has been a reminder for us. Uh, uh, just about a month ago, uh, we celebrated our 20th anniversary. How many of you know that a wedding is a life changing event? Just a couple days ago, we celebrated another anniversary. July third was twenty-one day, uh, twenty-one years from. Hello. We met at Big Prairie, Ohio, Family Camp, July third, nineteen ninety nine, and so you know that was a life changing event meeting kim uh, then getting into uh, the dating relationship and marriage and then some other life-changing events came Uh, uh, one of them in 2006 and one of them in 2009 and we talk about the the birth of children right those are some life-changing events for some maybe it's a maybe it's a job or or maybe it's a trip or a vacation Uh, Certainly some of our trips have been pretty uh, fun and foundational. A life-changing trip for me a couple of years ago, I've shared with you, being able to go with so many of our Ohio Ministry Network pastors to Tanzania and just being exposed to so much in the world, being exposed to all of what God was doing in in, uh, the Tanzania churches, the Assemblies of God. But there are so many things we look at and we say, wow, this is life-changing, well, one of the reasons that we need to get into God's Word is because God's Word is life-changing. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we'll look at verse 14 and 15. Paul writes this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, Because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The holy scriptures, God's word, the Bible, it's able to make you wise for salvation. Salvation is a life-changing experience. How many of you can remember that time? For some, maybe it's not too long ago. For some, maybe it's many, many years ago, right? A life-changing experience where we heard God's Word, we surrendered our heart and our life to Jesus Christ, and it was a life-changing experience. God's Word is life-changing. Now, the good news is we've got incredible access, near unlimited access to this life-changing Word of God. I mean, we talk about Bibles and you talk about access to Bibles, we've got a bunch. Uh, this, this is a portion. This is a handful of, of some of mine. And, and you're kind of chuckling because as a pastor, you would, you would expect that I've got a bunch of those. And, and uh, I continue to get more and more. Um, this, is, this top one is, is one of the favorites. Uh, this was one of my dad's Bibles. And I opened this up and saw that this was given to him on Palm Sunday, 1945. 1945 by his pastor in Brooklyn, New York. A little New Testament and and Proverbs, which is well-worn and read. and, And that's one of them. This as well is one of my dad's preaching Bibles, and this was uh, the, kind of the size of one of the Bibles that I saw Dad uh, preach from for years and years and years, and, and so I've got one of those. As I mentioned last week, went to see my mom uh, the previous week, and uh, she was kind of in this, uh, this, this giving mode, and uh, she went digging around in her, in her little apartment there, and uh, she's been having a little bit of trouble of, uh, of reading uh, just with, with some of her eyes and things. And so uh, she found some different Bibles that she wanted uh, for me and our girls to have. And so uh, this, this is one. This is an ESV study Bible, one that, uh, that mom has used a lot. And then uh, girlies, uh, for the two of you, she has a one-year Bible, and she's uh, read through both of these. So we've got a, a one-year Bible. This is then a one-year uh, chronological Bible. And uh, so I ended up, I've got three more in uh, to add to my collection, uh, one of which uh, of mine here is the New Living Translation. Read through that a number of different times. Uh, this one is uh, the Message Remix. Uh, this one started coming apart, so get some duct tape on it, right? So i uh, got some duct tape on that. Uh, this is an NIV pastor's Bible with some pastor's helps. Uh, this is uh, one of the older ones that I've had, a uh, King James uh, Version from a teenager, I believe. And then this is a parallel Bible, New American Standard as well as The Message. Uh, in addition, uh, this is one I've had since the 90s. I've been preaching from, uh, from this for, uh, for many years. I've got a, another one that's almost identical to this. I just can't bring myself to use it instead of this. I mean, this is just, this is my Bible. And then I got a whole whole bunch of other ones. How many of you would look back and say, I've got at least one Bible in my house? How many of you would say, I've got at least two Bibles in my house? Keep your hands up if you think you've got at least five Bibles in your house. Keep your hands up if you think you've got at least 10 Bibles in your house. Keep your hand up if you think you've got at least... Fifteen Bibles in your house. Still got a couple with you. All right? So we've got Bibles. We've got access to the Word of God. And since the printing press, it's been said that probably at least 12 billion Bibles have been published and distributed. 12 billion with a B. Over 100 million Bibles are sold every year. 92% 92% of Americans, all Americans, not just Christians, 92% of Americans own at least one Bible, whether it's been purchased or given to them. God's word, there's access to God's word. The average American Christian owns nine and intends to purchase more. So we saw some of you had more than nine, some of you had less than nine. It says on average, uh, people would own nine. Nine. And then, in addition, you've got computers and websites, and, and now with cell phones and tablets, you've got access to the Bible app. In that one Bible app, you've got uh, Bible reading guides, you've got all kinds of versions and translations. I mean, we've got access at our fingertips everywhere we go. That's the good news. How many of you are ready for some bad news? You're not really ready, but I'm going I'm to give it to you anyway. The good news is we've got access to the Word of God. The bad news is we don't always access the Word of God. We have unlimited access. We we take our cell phones. For many, not everyone, many have smartphones with access to the Bible everywhere. And yet, as a whole, in our culture, in our society, not just in the church, but outside of the church, we don't always access or get into the Word of God. For many, maybe the Bibles sit on a shelf, or they're buried in a desk, or or maybe similar to our communion table Bible, maybe they're simply displayed in the home. Uh, They sit out on a table, they sit out on a desk, uh, they sit on a shelf, well, well, I know where it's at, I just don't always read it faithfully. A Gallup survey found less than 50% of Americans can name the first book of the Bible, which is? Genesis, and then uh, Barna Research conducted a survey of Christians—not not just of all Americans, but of Christians. Forty-eight percent of Christians could not name the four Gospels: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Fifty-two percent could not uh, identify more than two or three of Jesus' disciples. He had twelve. Three are pretty close, Peter, James, and John. One of them betrayed him, which was, there's four. But 52% could not identify more than two or three. 61% of Christians think that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. 71% of Christians think God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. Not in there. Check this out. 12% of Christians believe that Noah was married to Joan of Arc. Not true. Listen, just because we have a Bible doesn't mean that we get into it. And just because we get into the Word of God does not mean that we've allowed it to get into us. But we need to because His Word is life-changing. God's Word is given to us for transformation not just information. In the text, Paul says that the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. It's not just about information to fill our mind. It's the transformation of our life that comes through the power of God. It's more than just getting into God's Word so that we can answer some Bible trivia questions. Although, let's be honest, it's fun if we can answer them, right? We've done a couple Bible trivia nights with you uh, during this quarantine season. A number of you have joined with us. And and that's fun, but some of you think, oh, I did really good, or you think, oh, I didn't do so well. It's not about what do we know about trivia. It's have we allowed God's Word to impact and transform our life. It's it's the source of of Jesus Christ, the source of uh, his saving grace and the power that he has, it contains the literal words of God that will help us to live a life that's pleasing to God. It is life-changing. Because of that, we're to get into it and read it and study it, hopefully as early as possible, but as well as much and as often as possible, right? Paul's writing, and he encouraged Timothy... To continue in what he had learned. In fact, uh, back in First Timothy, I'm sorry, Second Timothy, chapter one, verse five, it reads like this. He says, "I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also." How many of you are thankful that you have a godly parent and/or grandparent in your life? who has lived the example, who has lived out about God's word. And that's what Paul is saying Timothy has. His family had this habit of allowing their life to be changed and transformed by God and his word. And so it's a challenge to us, not just to make sure we allow it to change our lives, but to make sure that those in our family and our spouses and our kids and our grandkids, that we are pointing them to god's word that's the importance of some of our ministries uh, our sunday school opportunities boys and girls ministry opportunities even some of the online opportunities that we're providing it's to allow god's word to get into our hearts and then making sure that you know it's it's taking root there so we've got to get into god's word because it is life-changing More than just because we feel it's a have to, gotta, check it off. There should be this desire that says, God's word is life-changing. I want to dig into it and allow it to get into us. Secondly, why should we do that? Not only because God's word is life-changing, but because God's word is trustworthy. Now, in a a day and culture like today, uh, we hear this phrase a lot. You've heard the phrase, fake news, right? In other words, there's so much stuff being reported, some of it is, well, that's fake news. Now, for some people, it's, well, fake news is anything I don't agree with, or you can simply say, fake news is something that's maybe inaccurately reported, but that phrase, it's entered our our culture, and what it means is, we're not really sure about the source, I'm not sure that everything that's reported is completely trustworthy. Not so when it comes to God's word. Here's what Paul writes at the beginning of 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. He says, all scripture is God-breathed. Some of the versions or translations would say, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. We can trust God's Word because it is God-breathed, it is inspired. It, it literally means being <sighs> breathed out by God. Now, that's kind of a, a challenging concept to understand. You know, if, if God breathed, well, then how do we get this? What it is is God-inspired, God-prompted the authors, and then those authors took what God had prompted, inspired them with, and wrote the words. Each of these authors in their own time periods, in their own uh, settings and writing styles, but God prompted, God inspired, and the individuals wrote it down. Every single verse in the Word of God was written by mankind, but it was inspired by God. Now, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Let me repeat that. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Not just the parts that we like to pick and choose. How many of you, when you read through the Word of God, there are some verses you like better than others? Be honest. Lift your hands. Yeah? I would venture to say uh, you probably prefer Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Psalms, and Proverbs. In fact, you probably would take any book of the bible over leviticus if you've read through the word of god lots of the laws and uh, you know infectious and bodily diseases and thinking whoa how do i get through this book but listen every part every part of the word of god is inspired by god not just the ones that seem more uplifting not just the ones that we tend to like better you read a verse of scripture and you say i'm doing that and so you say yes amen God your word is awesome and then you read something else and you feel kind of pricked and prompted and you feel God nudging you because you're you're not living in accordance with it and the uh, tendency sometimes can be to "Eh, let me kind of push this off Let, let me tell somebody else about this verse they really need to know this Every part of God's words, it's given by the inspiration of God. We can trust it. It's basically like God's autobiography. God's giving us his words through these human authors, and it communicates who God is. It communicates what he's done. It communicates his desires for you and for me. How are we to live our life? It tells us who we are in Christ as well as who we can be in Christ. We can trust these words. They're true and reliable and authoritative and permanent and powerful because they come from God. This isn't man saying, here's what I think you ought to do. These are words that came from God through mankind for you and I. We get into God's word because it's trustworthy. Now, are are there some good things out there to read? Sure. There's good literature, there's good websites, there's a lot of good things, but only one thing is 100% trustworthy, that's God and His Word. It's trustworthy because of the unity contained in God's Word. Again, there's about 40 different biblical authors written from around three different continents over a period of about 1,500 years, written in multiple languages, yet it has a consistent theme and message we read the old testament and it's pointing to a savior it's showing us the issues of sin and the fall and the failures of mankind and it's pointing to a savior who is to come And then you've got the New Testament, how that Savior comes, Jesus Christ as as a baby coming to the world in the flesh, how he lives and preaches and heals and ministers, and then ultimately dies, is buried, and is resurrected, proving power over death and hell and the grave. And then you've got the book of Acts, the, the acts of the apostles who are now living for him, and then many of these letters that are written about the teachings of Christ. It's it's a united book, 66 different books, in fact, 39 in the old, 27 in the new, and they all come together beautifully. God's Word is not just life-changing, it's trustworthy. We can depend upon what we read. But finally, why should we get into God's Word? Why should we read it on a regular basis? Why should then we allow God's Word to get into us and transform us? Not just because it's life-changing, not just because it's trustworthy, but because God's Word is practical. How many of you, you took a class in high school or college, and that was the last time you thought about that particular item or topic or subject? You know, you're taking something, and you've got to be taught it. For some, maybe it's mathematics. Maybe you didn't go into a a field involving math. So you took some pretty high-level courses, maybe in high school or required in, uh, in college or university, and then you've not really used those things. There's a lot of different things out there that's not always useful and practical. But when it comes to the Word of God, it is tremendously, not just life-changing, not just trustworthy, but it's practical and useful. Continue in verse 16 and 17 here. He writes that all Scripture is God-breathed or all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. He says it is useful, it is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, briefly, let's take a look at each of these different categories. He he mentions a number of different reasons why God's Word is so practical and helpful and useful. First of all, he says teaching, or some versions would, would translate it as doctrine. God's word is helpful for doctrine, which are teachings. It shows us what is right. When we read God's word, when we study God's word, it guides us to understand what is right, what is true. Now, we live in a day and we live in a culture where so many people uh, believe that right is what you say is right. Well, if it's true for you, if it's good for you, if it's right for you, but that's not good for me. So you live your way, I'll live my way, but everything is right. Everything is relative, and there's really, really no true rights and no true wrongs. It's just kind of up to you. God's Word gives us teaching and doctrine about what is right. How ought we to live our lives? How are we to please God? God's Word is clear. He gives us the standard and the guide for what is right. So as we're reading through God's Word, we're understanding the doctrine. Uh, We're reading in the Old Testament and we realize there's a teaching about sin. That mankind sins. And in the New Testament, Paul writes in Romans that all have sinned. And we look in the Old Testament and we see with Adam and Eve when they sinned, guess what? There were consequences to their sin. Again, we get to the New Testament. Paul's writing, he says, well, the wages of our sin is death. There's consequences as a result. And so God's Word gives us teaching, gives us the doctrine, and helps us to understand what is right. He says it's helpful and useful for teaching and rebuking God's word is helpful or useful for rebuking or repu- uh, reproof tongue twister there The Bible shows us what is wrong the teaching or doctrine shows us what's right but it's helpful for rebuking and for reproving us to help us help us to understand what is wrong false doctrine wrong behavior how we're not to live And so you've got God's word combined with the power and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just saying, here's what's right, but it's also pointing us to here's what's wrong. And it's guiding us, it's rebuking, it's reproving the wrong sinful acts that take place in our life. It clearly identifies and diagnoses uh, some of the hurts and habits and the hang-ups, the things that kind of hold on to our life. There is rebuke and reproof. So it's not just to say, well, here's what's right. It also guides us and guards us and reproves us about what is wrong. So he says it's useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting. Oh, boy, now you just said it, Pastor Mark. Can't we get a a message on God's word without talking about correction? God's word is useful to correct us. It shows us how to take what's wrong and make it right. God's word does not want us to continue to live in error, to continue to live uh, against God and his word, but it helps to correct us. And then the Greek word here that's used it refers to restoring something back to an original and proper condition. The word in Greek literature is used of setting uh, an object that had fallen down. It's setting it back upright, or it's used in helping a person back on their feet after stumbling. It's it's correcting. It's putting back into place. So, God's Word helps us understand what's right, helps us understand what's wrong, and then in the, in the wrong instances, in the sinful instances, as we look to God's Word, it helps us then to place it back upright into our lives. But you've knocked something over in your home. If you've got a little one or if you've got a pet, they might have knocked something off, right? You've got a knickknack, you've got some pretties or whatnot, and something gets knocked over. And so you, you pick it up, that's, that's inerrant, it should be here, and it's down on the floor, and so you're putting it back, you're restoring it to its rightful place. You're correcting what took place. In a sense, in a spiritual sense, that's how God's Word helps us. Not just saying, here's what's right and here's what's wrong, but guiding us and lovingly correcting us to get us then back on track. How, how do you make it right? And then finally, says it's helpful and it's useful for training and instruction. Shows us how to keep it right. Not just to know what's right. Not just to get it back on track, but how to keep it right, to train, to guide, to instruct. Repetition, reinforcement, doing something over and over again. When you read through God's Word, you ever found yourself, you, you come across the Scripture and you say, Again? You tell me this again, God? I, okay, I get, yeah, I'm kind of struggling. I mean, there's not just one Scripture about kind of getting right with God, not just one scripture about different ways to live, but all through Old Testament and New Testament, in the examples of men and women, as well as in the teachings and writings, it is repeated time and time again. There is teaching, training, and instruction. You teach, whether in a class or kids, grandkids, you teach in a variety of ways, God's Word has a variety of resources, right? Uh, there are some actual, you, know, you, you read here in First and 2 Timothy, it's Paul writing to a younger minister, wanting to guide, wanting to help teach and influence. And you say, well, that's obvious. That's a, that's a part of Scripture that's really good for instruction. But how about when you read some of those biblical stories, Old Testament or New Testament, and it's stories of what men and women do And sometimes they they do right and they obey God. And sometimes they do wrong and they sin against God. But even as we read biblical accounts of men and women, we have got instruction and teaching. We are learning from their lives how to live, how to make things right, how to keep it right. And so that's God's desire. It is practical. It's life-changing. It's trustworthy. In fact, everything that we need is in the Word of God. Training, rebuking, correcting, and training for righteousness is right here. One of my favorite uh, Super Bowl commercials was from a number of years ago, and it was a FedEx commercial that was a spoof of uh, uh, the Tom Hanks movie, Castaway. Anybody see that one? He was uh, stranded on a desert island, and uh, there were a number, I, th- I think it might have been with a, an airplane or something, and uh, he went through some of the packages and belongings, and one of them uh, was the volleyball, which was Wilson. Wilson. And, and he, he drew a little face on it, and that was like his little buddy on the island. He was, he was stranded. And so this was a, a take on that so let's let's check it out and then i'll we'll kind of see how it ties into the word of god fedex commercial hi hi i was marooned on an island for five years with this package and i swore that i would deliver it to you because i work for fedex That's very admirable. Thank you. Hey, by the way, what's in the package? Nothing, really. Just a satellite phone, GPS locator, fishing rod, water purifier, and some seeds. Just silly stuff. Uh. Thank you again. You keep up the good work. What's in the box? And she rouses it off and says, ah, just silly stuff. It literally is everything he would have needed to survive. Everything he needed was right there. I want to encourage you and say that everything you and I have need of in our life, it's right here. It's in God's word. And that's, that's why we need to get into God's Word. It's why we need God's Word to be able to get into us because it has what we need. The teaching and the training and, yes, the rebuking and the correcting and instruction and in righteousness, it's all there. Dig in and read and learn and study. And, yes, not just our, our kids can learn and memorize God's Word. We can hide His Word in our heart. And when we do, we will be equipped. Verse 17 says, why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the power of the word of God. It will help to equip us. It's got all that we need to face the challenges of life. No doubt you've been in a situation, sometimes it it might be a time of loss a time of hardship, a time of difficulty, a time of struggle, a time of questioning, and you read God's Word. Maybe, and it's amazing how this works, maybe you're even following a step by step Bible reading plan. It's a, uh, maybe one of the paper guides that we provide here at the church. We've got three paper uh, copies available in our, in our foyer. Or maybe you're following something online or following something on your phone or tablet. But you're, you're even guiding, you know, this, this step-by-step process. And what you read that day is exactly what you needed that day. You experience that? There's power and, and life change. It's got what we need to face life. All the equipment that's needed. So the challenge, the encouragement is to get into God's word. Get into God's word on a regular basis, on a daily basis. Read, study, reflect on it. Why? Because it's life-changing. Because it's trustworthy. You can count on it. And because it's practical. Let me give you just a a handful of some quick tips or hints. All right? We're going to move fast But how do you do it? First of all, start with a positive and expectant attitude. Approach the word of God saying, I'm ready. And approach the word of God saying, I'm anticipating that I'm going to learn and grow as I get into God's word. Don't approach it saying, man, I can't believe I have to do this. Approach it with the positive. This is awesome. God's given this to me and I'm going to learn from it. Second, Find a readable translation. For some, that can be a challenge because maybe they start to read in a version or a Bible, and they say, I'm not sure that I understand what I'm reading. Now, one that is extremely readable is King James Version, and it's an excellent Bible. For some, that can be a challenge to understanding. It's got a little bit more of the poetic feel. I got a little bit more of maybe the the Shakespeare kind of feel. And so for some, they say, I'm reading this, but it doesn't quite sound maybe like some of the language that's used today. There are a a host of versions and translations. I've got all kinds of them here. There's all kinds of them on the Bible app. But uh, ESV is a faithful translation, readable. The New Living is... NLT is a, a very readable one. In fact, some of my Bible college professors were part of the translation team back in the 90s as they were working on the New Living Translation. One that's very, very readable, but a little bit more of a paraphrase done primarily by a pastor is the message version. And uh, it's, it's probably as far opposite of the field to the King James as you might get. But there's a host of different versions or translations And so you say, well, man, I don't don't want to spend all this money on something and and then it not be as helpful or readable. Then let me point you to the app. And you can can find 20, 30, maybe even 40 different versions or translations for free in the Bible app. Many of them, they will read it for you. It's like the Bible on tape or the Bible on CD, and it's shoved into this app, and they'll read it for you. So there's, there's great technology. So find a readable translation that will help. Third, start small and in the right place. Now, I don't mean that there's like a wrong thing to read in the Word of God. But let me just say, if you've not really been reading, if you've not started faithfully reading God's Word, then maybe start with some of the Gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or maybe uh, some of the Psalms or Proverbs. Don't start with Leviticus. All right, work your way up to that. A little bit more of a challenging book. Fourth, focus on application rather than amount. Now, listen, I personally, I desire, and my goal is I'm going to read through the entire Bible every single year. I've done it many, many years uh, 2000, I think, was the first year I started recording what version or translation it was that I read through. I'd read it a number of times before that in ministry and in Bible college and even as as a young person. My goal is to read it in one year and hopefully less than a year to finish before the end of the year. That's me personally. But if you've not read the Word of God, and you're starting to, you've got to be around uh, you know, maybe four or five chapters a day, something like that. And for some, you say, wow, that's a lot. And so you struggle to keep up, and so you're just skimming, and you're really not getting anything out of it, and just trying to check off a box. That's so okay. Slow down a little bit. Maybe you read one chapter, and then you think about it a little bit, and you kind of reflect. God, what would you have me... I, I've, I've got into God's Word, but I want to make sure that it gets into me. What are you wanting me to learn from this chapter, from this paragraph, or from this devotional? So maybe that's starting small, but focus on application. What am I applying or learning from God's Word more than how much am I reading? Next, we've touched on it, use technology to help you. Whether that's paper technology like a paper Bible reading guide, Got three different ones to choose from. Be glad to walk you through some of those in the foyer. Or whether that's using the Bible app on a phone or tablet or finding some different uh, means on your computer, use technology to help. And finally, don't give up. Don't give up. The the challenge is we say, okay, uh, there's this, this message on reading God's Word and getting into it, allowing God's Word to get into it. So, Maybe if you've struggled getting into God's Word, you're going to start today. I'm going to challenge you to read today. Maybe you read tomorrow, but then you mess up and and things get busy and and you neglect to do it on Tuesday. The tendency can be, oh, we, we beat ourselves up and we say, oh, it's useless, and then we just stop. Don't give up. Just pick it up the next day. Pick it up on Wednesday and continue little by little by little. Overall, Get into God's word and then allow God's word to get into you. Why? Because it truly is useful. It truly is trustworthy and it truly is life changing.